0: To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And then skipping down to verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you uh, for your word that speaks to areas of our lives that we often don't want to talk about. We thank you, though, that you speak to us in a way that is both gentle and gentle, and truthful but also hopeful as you are continually pointing us to our Savior as we realize that we are indeed sinners and, uh, but you are kind to sinners like us and you welcome us and you wash us and you forgive us and so um, I pray that as we uh, think about this topic in, in the challenging teaching of this passage that you would give us open hearts and ears to hear what you have to say to us. So send your spirit now to lead us into all truth. We pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. So as we talk about the uh, topic of divorce and remarriage, one of the things that's so impressive to me about the Bible is how broad it is in the kinds of people that the Bible expects are going to be in church. You know, uh, we've, talked, we've had sermons on, uh, on homosexuality uh, uh, last month. Uh, we've talked about singleness. And uh, here uh, we're talking about divorce and remarriage. And uh, what this tells us is that the Apostle Paul expects that there are people dealing with all of these issues present in the church people that are asking questions about all these topics are, in the, are present in the church. Now, I don't think that's generally what we think, because we often think when we're going to come to church, what are we going to hear about? We're going to hear about happy, good, beautiful Christian families. And we're going to have inspiring visions of Christian families. And yet the Bible is far more realistic about life and realistic about the world than we are often and what we're expecting. And so it, speak to, it speaks to us about every area of life, and all manner of people, that are, they're struggling with all manner of, of things happening in their, in their relationships, their lives, in their marriages, in their families. And uh, it addresses all these things. So this morning, I want to carefully address the Bible's teaching about uh, divorce and remarriage. And um, I think it's, it's important for us as a church to be clear on what the Bible says, just to say it clearly. What exactly does the Bible say? And it's quite complex there's quite a lot to say. So I want to uh, jump right into it and we're going to look at this under really these two simple headings. What does the Bible teach about divorce and what does the Bible teach about remarriage? And I'm I'm probably going to spend most of my time on the first one because there's a lot to say about it. And um, so let's jump right in. So first question, what does the Bible say about divorce? And now the first thing that the Bible says is probably the most challenging word is don't leave. That's the big message the want says is in a hard marriage, you don't leave. And you can, uh, uh, you can hear that that's the dominant tone of the teaching of verse 10 here. To the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. And then in the end of verse 11 there, it says, and the husband should not divorce his wife, To the rest I say, I am not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So this is repeated several times. Do not get divorced. Do not leave. Stay there. And uh, there's a few reasons for this. Why would the Bible have such, such insistence that we stick it out even in difficult marriages? Well, a few things. The first reason is because Christ is being formed in us through the marriage. Christ is being formed in us through the marriage. And I'll just tell you, you know, um, almost all of, um, all, almost all the areas that we experience conflict in our marriages are precisely the areas where Christ needs to be formed in us. You know, you think of where that. Areas that we have conflict in our marriage, whether it's about money, whether it's about sex, whether it's about you know, how much I work and how much time I spend with my family, all of these questions that are brought to the surface by the heat of marriage and the conflict of marriage are precisely the areas where J- Jesus wants to work in us. And so if we run away from those conflicts then we're not giving the Lord the opportunity to do that work in us, which is often painful. It's often very difficult. And so unless we stay there, that work is not going to be done in us. And part of the reason for this is because the things that we fight about in our marriage are the things that we hold to most dearly, the things that we care about most. And often, we have never said that. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, When... Uh, Shannon and I were in seminary, we were li- living in St. Louis, we were in our la- final uh, semester of seminary, and we lived in a small house in St. Louis, and the house in the kitchen, the-, the-, the sink was kind of in the corner of the kitchen, and I, you know, I'm the dish, I always do the dishes, and so I was in just getting ready to move out here to, I was going to start a church, and I had never preached a sermon, you know, I would preached maybe a couple sermons, practice sermons, you know, I'd never been a pastor. And so when I was doing the dishes, I would put on headphones and listen to sermons and try to learn, like, how do these guys do this? How do, they, how do you give a sermon? And so um, one day I'm doing the dishes, and I'm kind of in the corner of the kitchen, so I can't really talk to anyone anyways. You know, I'm just looking at a wall. And we get in this conflict. Shannon's kind of doing the, the counter behind me. And all of a sudden we start arguing about whether I should listen to sermons while I'm doing the dishes. And it gets surprisingly hot, you know, this, uh, you know, we're getting out of it, and it's like, what is going on here? And I'm saying to her, you know, I'm going to try to start a church, this is a really hard thing, and I need to learn to give services, and I can't even talk to you, I'm looking at the wall, there's no, I can't even talk to you while I'm doing the dishes. And we're just, and so we get into it, uh, and, and so I just have to leave the room, and I go in the bathroom, and, you know, on this occasion, I happen to pray, I was frustrated, and I was like, Lord, I don't even know what to do. And it was one of those moments where you just kind of, you know, you kind of hear something. It's like the Holy Spirit is just it just like, this is this is what you should be thinking about. And I realized the thought that came into my mind was, she doesn't care about the sermons. And it turned out, you know, as I went out and we kind of talked through it, what was really happening was that, you know, I was in my last semester of seminary at 17 credits. We were about to move across the country to start a church, which she's like, okay, we're going to start a church. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And, uh, and we had three young kids, and we had just found out that she was pregnant with twins. So we were going to have five children, five and under. And I was supposed to raise $100,000 to start the church, which I'd only raised twenty-five so far, and I had about three months to go. And our whole house is being packed up, and I'm trying to finish, this, the, you know, finish my degree. And what, all, what was happening here is Shannon was saying, listen, you got all these crazy ideas, you want to start a church, you want to go to seminary, you want to raise all this money, great, I'm with you in it. But as you're doing all these things, am I going to get left in the dust? And it turns out that me talking to her while I'm doing the dishes is said to her, I'm going to be with you, even in the midst of all this mess and all this craziness that we're going through, I'm going to be with you. And so when you're fighting about dishes and about sermons and headphones, you know, and, and I'm thinking you're being totally illogical, but the issue here is really what's happening in her heart, which is something that I have, actually have quite a lot of compassion for. I don't want her to feel alone while we're starting a church and all these things. And unless you stick through, this is just a small example, of unless you stick through the conflicts and find out what really is at stake, what are you really fighting for, then uh, the, the work that Christ wants to do in you doesn't have a chance to be formed. And so the Bible is insistent that even if you are so exasperated with your spouse, you need to stay in the marriage because Christ is being formed in you. But it's not only because Christ is being formed in you through the marriage, but also that Christ is being formed in your spouse. And God is doing a work through you and your spouse. And you hear that, you know, Paul says um, in this passage that a Christian, if you're a Christian and you're married to a non-Christian, you should stay in that marriage, uh, even if you have totally different beliefs with the person, because of the profound impact that you will have on your spouse's life. Um, Look at what it says, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. And then down in verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? What Paul is saying here is you actually don't know what God's purposes are for your spouse. You don't know what's in the future. You don't know why God has put you in this family and in this marriage And uh, he has purposes that you don't know. And you have to wait. Believing that Christ is not only being formed in you, but also being formed in your spouse through this marriage. And that won't happen if you leave. Um, Which says that God uh, has put our spouse in our lives. And he is working through you in their lives. You know, actually, uh, one of the things that the Bible says in Genesis 2, when it first talks about marriage... In the first verse that talks about marriage in the Bible, it says that when God gives you a spouse, he gives you someone who's your opposite. You know, If you've heard that phrase that God gave the man a, a helper who was fit for him, that word is actually opposite. Someone who's different. And so if you feel like, me and my spouse, we're just so different. We, you know, we just don't think alike, we don't operate alike. That's how God planned it. That's why. is You're going to learn something from your spouse. They're, they're going to change you and transform you. They're going to work through you on both sides. And unless you stay, that work that God intends to happen won't happen. Okay? So it's not only, though, that Christ is being formed in you. Christ is being formed in your spouse. But the third thing is also that Christ is being formed in your children. And you see that the children get brought up in this, uh, in this passage in verse 14. It says, don't leave, because otherwise your children would be unclean but as it is, they are holy. I'm not totally sure what this is talking about, but um, uh, and I don't, I don't have time to go to, to go into it too in depth. But I will say that this is one of the reasons that we baptize babies in our church is because it says that even if you have one believer in a family, it ha- it is a profound grace to the children that are born into that family to be raised by Christians, people who know the Lord know the grace of God and, 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 and teach them the scriptures. So much so that uh, that Paul says that they are holy. Now what this means is it doesn't mean that you can build a marriage on your children and say, you know, well, we're just going to stay here because we got children and it would affect them. You need to work on your marriage. And you know, that often happens that if people just focus on their children, the children grow up and they run away and they look at each other and say, do I know you? Uh, you know, we've been you know, bussing children around for the last 20 years and now I don't even know you. And so that means you have to first focus on the marriage itself. But also, one of the reasons to say is for the sake of the children is what, is what this passage says. Okay? But, so, the first thing the Bible says about divorce is don't leave. But, the second thing is that there are exceptions that the Bible gives. And, um, now, uh, the first exception... Is, uh, is that uh, divorces or, or marriages, there can be conflicts in marriage that are irreconcilable, the Bible says, because of sexual immorality that enters into the relationship. And you, know, you don't see that uh, specifically in this passage, but you do notice this. Look at what it says in verse 10 here. To the married, I give this charge, and then there's this little uh, parenthesis, not I, but the Lord. Uh, the wife should not separate from her husband. And then if you skip down, it says, and, uh, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, uh, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, etc. So there's these two little parenthetical statements where, it says, where Paul says, this first thing I say, it's not I who's saying it, but the Lord who says this. And then he says another thing, and he says, no, this is, this is me talking and not the Lord. And, uh, you know, some people have taken this to mean that when Paul is writing these letters, sometimes he has the Holy Spirit speaking through him, and he says, this is the Lord speaking, and then at other times, you know, this is just my personal opinion. And that's actually not what's happening in this verse. When Paul says that this is the Lord speaking, he's, he means Jesus. He's actually quoting Jesus here, because this is, uh, this is one of the rare places where Paul explicitly quotes Jesus, and Jesus' teaching was that a husband and wife should not get divorced. But in Matthew, Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus says, except for the case of sexual immorality. There can be an exception made uh, in the case of sexual immorality. And... um, and so this is not saying that some teachings of Paul are more authoritative than others. Actually, when Paul is quoting Jesus, he is reinforcing his authority as one of Paul's apostles, uh, one of Jesus as one of Jesus' apostles. So the first ex- exception is sexual immorality, but there is a second exception that actually does come up in, uh, in this passage. It is the case of desertion. And you see this here in verse 15, "But if the unbelieving partner, separates, so if you have a Christian who's married to a non-Christian and the unbelieving partner separates, Paul says, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And, you know, what this is saying is that if a Christian is married to a non-Christian and the non-Christian says, I will not be married to you if you're a Christian. I don't want to be married to a Christian. I, I can't stand Christians and then you're put in a situation where you have to decide, I'm either going to be a Christian or I'm going to be married to this person, then you say, okay, I got to my first loyalty is to Jesus. And, so I, and Paul says you're free to go. If you have to choose between your faith and the marriage, you choose the faith. And you know, that, of course, says something to uh, you know, people who are specifically in that situation, but I think it also says, for if someone's in a situation where they're married to a non-Christian... And they have to decide, you know, how do I live? There's all kinds of questions that are raised with that. You know, do I go to church? Uh, You know, am I involved in a home group? Um, You know, what do I do with the kids? Do I bring the kids to church? And Paul is reiterating that our first loyalty is to the Lord. And we have to be explicit about that in our marriage. And and I know that, uh, you know, if you're in that situation, that's a very difficult situation. I think it's just an encouragement to know that the scriptures address that. The Lord knows that you're there. The Lord knows that there are people in the church that are in that situation and hear this word as um, as an encouragement. Okay? So you have these two exceptions, sexual immorality and what we call desertion. Uh, a non-Christian says, I don't want to be married to you. But that raises questions, of course, of um, what about some forms of abuse? And... Uh, Some of you will notice uh, that both times I read this, I skipped a little parenthetical note in verse 11. Look at what it says. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Now, um, apparently, there are women in the church, uh, that have separated uh, from other Christian husbands, and they are still in good standing in the Corinthian church. They're still a part of the community. And um, I think it's interesting that uh, Paul gives this exception clause to the women, but not to the men. Why is that? Why does Paul understand that there's some reason that some women in the church are going to be separated from their husbands? And by the way, I should make one comment. Some of you will notice it uses the language separate for the wives and it uses the language divorce for the husbands. And some of you might think, oh, this is talking about what we think of as modern day separation. That's not what it's talking about. The Both words mean divorce. Separate means to leave. Divorce means to send away. And because that was often the situation that a wife had to leave the house, but when a husband divorced his wife, he sent her away. But both of them are words for divorce. And what this is giving us a picture of is that there are probably women that are in situations um, where it is unsafe and it's appropriate for them to leave. Now, uh, many people have fears that Acknowledging that there is a place for a woman to leave because of abuse or violence is going to open up the floodgates, uh, allowing all kinds of divorce in the church because the word abuse is so vague. And, you know, one of the things that's challenging about that is because in all of our marriages, we abuse one another to some extent, right? I mean, most of us who've been married, the most hurtful things that you will ever say in your life probably happened in your marriage. Probably did. That's the person that you know the most. That's the person you know how to hurt the most. Hurt the most deeply. And so that's going to happen in marriage. And and the Bible acknowledges that, that we're going to hurt one another. And so at what point do you say that something is actually, this is unsafe and this person needs to be protected from this marriage? And, um, well, I, I think one of the answers to that is that one of the reasons we have marriages as public events with witnesses and with a pastor who's there doing this, doing the ceremony is we're saying that I need other people involved in my marriage. A marriage doesn't work as a private hidden secret thing. And so if someone is in a situation they say, you know, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know if this this our conflicts are going too far. That means you you have you have elders, you have pastors that you can talk to and to bring in and to guide you through that. And you should have, that's why it's so important for us as a church to elect pastors and elders that we trust. That we would entrust with such a, a delicate issues that, um, that care about our safety, that love us, that are courageous to speak the truth into hard situations. Um, but we need a community uh, around us. But I will say this that saying that a woman is free to leave because she is not safe is not the same as allowing divorces for irreconcilable differences for emotional separation or for loss of affection. These are generally reasons we get divorced in our culture is because of the difficulty. It's unpleasant. And it's actually those are the exact things that God wants us to face and deal with in our marriage. Um... So, all that to say, I think that the Bible's teaching on divorce is challenging. It says that you can't run away from a difficult marriage, you need to face it. But the Bible is also so just. It's not overly principled, right? It's not wooden or overly rigid. It understands that judgment calls need to be made in all of our lives. And we use the principles of the scriptures to guide us, okay? But there's a third thing that the Bible says about divorce that I want to mention. Not only that, first of all, we don't leave, but there are exceptions to that. The third thing is that the Bible says that God is a divorced one. God is himself a divorced one. And one of the reasons why that's so important is because I think that for those of us who are among us who have been divorced, there's a real pain in the status of now I'm a divorced person. And, you know, I never imagined myself that this was going to be the situation I was in. This is not what I planned. This is, not what I, this is never what I pictured for my future. And now I'm, I'm in a church or I'm in a community or I'm in my neighborhood or I'm in my family and I have to face this status. But one of the major thing, themes of the Old Testament is that God himself joined himself to a bride, Israel. And Israel was this um, adulterous bride. You know, She chased after all these other gods, and the Lord pursued her for centuries and centuries and centuries. And then it says in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 3.8, this is what it says, Israel, finally after all these centuries, the Lord says, I sent her away with a decree of divorce. And Israel went into exile by the Assyrians. And this was her separation, her divorce, from the Lord, which is an amazing thing. You know, a big part of the Lord's marriage to Israel was about his reputation among the, among the nations and that people would learn about what kind of God he is. And now he's this divorced God whose people are now in exile. And I think that um, there is a tremendous comfort to know that the God that we worship is a God who himself has been divorced. He knows the heart-rending pain of it. And he's not a stranger to it. And so, for those of us who've been the innocent party in a divorce, there should be profound comfort in knowing that God is like us. But you know, there's—I I put a quote in your bulletin. If you—if you turn uh, to page three in your bulletin, um, uh, this is a quote that I mentioned last time. Oh, did I? Oh, maybe not. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, never mind, it's not in there. Um, different, page. different page. What page is it? Oh, right after the prayers. Oh, okay, it's at the end here. No, that's not it. Okay, sorry. Let me. Uh, this is. Uh, let me just read it to you. This is C.S. Lewis from his book uh, *Mere Christianity* he has a chapter on marriage, and this is what C.S. Lewis says about divorce. Christianity teaches that marriage is for life. Churches all agree with one another about marriage a great deal more than any of them agrees with the outside world. I mean, they all regard, they all regard divorce as something like cutting up a living body, as a kind of surgical operation. Some of them think the operation so violent that it cannot be done at all. Others admit it as a desperate remedy in extreme cases. They all agree that it is more like having both your legs cut off than it is like dissolving a business partnership or even deserting a regiment. What they all disagree with is the modern view that it is a simple readjustment of partners to be made whenever people feel they are no longer in love with one another or when either of them falls in love with someone else. There's a profound text that says divorce is like having a limb cut off. No one goes through a divorce without being uh, radically changed. It will affect you deeply. But what's so amazing about the gospel, when I say that God himself is a divorced God, you know that exile? When God divorced Israel and he sent her into exile and she went off to the Assyrians and she was alienated and she was sent far away and, and, uh, and, and she was being punished for her sin? God took that divorce and placed it on Jesus. Jesus took the effects, the pain of the divorce, upon himself so that those of us who have been spiritually adulterous, we've run away from God, he would be reconciled to us, and he'd renew the marriage, that we would have a marriage forever and ever in his presence, and we would live with him, united to him. And um, and so it's for this reason that God is both a divorce God, but he's also a God who seeks reconciliation, that um, the Bible's teaching is very challenging, not only about marriage and divorce, but also about remarriage. And so I want to spend uh, uh, just a few minutes talking about what the Bible says about remarriage. And a couple things. That when someone's gone through a divorce, the Bible says that the first option is reconciliation. Now this passage as I mentioned is, is broken up into two sections, there is one section where Paul is talking about the situation where two Christians are married to one another. And then he talks about another situation where a Christian is married to a non-Christian. He says these are two different kinds of uh, situations. And in the case that a Christian is married to a non-Christian and they get divorced, that person is free to then go get remarried to a Christian. But in the case of two Christians who get divorced, he said it is difference. He said it is different. Divorce is not an unpardonable sin. But there are callings on a divorced life. Um, It appears that the Bible's teaching is that if two Christians get divorced, they should not get remarried so that reconciliation would be an option. If two Christians get divorced, they should not get remarried to leave out hope for reconciliation. And you know, obviously when a divorce happens, that's unthinkable. Like, we just went through a divorce, this is a terrible experience, there's no way we're ever going to get remarried. But you know, I I knew a couple um, uh, at a church I was at in the past, who uh, went through a really hard divorce, and they were actually separated for for 10 years. And then they remarried. And I was actually, when I was in seminary, I was staying with them, and um, I was staying in their basement, and at night, I was sitting uh, with them in their living room, and the guy was sitting there reading this big, fat theology book, Herman Bovink's uh, Reform Dogmatics Prolegomenon. And, uh, you know, it's like a 600-page, small print book on theology. And his wife's sitting right next to him watching a talk show. And I'm thinking, these people are so different. And I could see why they had problems. And yet, they'd gone through this whole experience. They'd been through a divorce, and they'd seen how terrible it was. And then 10 years later, they they came back together. And it was so amazing to me to see this man sitting there reading his theology. He probably thinks the talk show is a complete waste of time. But he was just so thankful to have his wife sitting there by him. And you could tell that he could care less as long as she was there. And it just blew me away that this could happen after such a, a, a terrible separation. And the Bible says, this is always a hope for a Christian. We're not going to get forced into that, but we hold out hope for that. And actually, I listened to a, a radio show uh, just while I was on vacation, it was another story about a woman, I think she'd been in a, a car wreck, and went into a coma. And she was in a coma for many months, she came out of the coma, and she, you know, she had lost much of her memory, and I think it was about six months after the car wreck, she was sitting with all her family around, and there was this man standing next to her, and she said, hey, why don't you come give me a little kiss on the cheek? And, and everyone kind of looks around, and he said, okay, and he goes and he gives her a kiss. And she didn't know that this was her ex-husband. She thought they were still married. And they had been divorced for two years. But in, through the coma, she had actually forgotten all the resentment, all the bitterness between them. And over those two years, it turned out he had also gone to church, he had gone to counseling, he'd had all kinds of changes in his life. And she couldn't remember the conflict they had, and they ended up getting remarried. And it's an amazing thing to realize that one of the things that's holding us back is there's a tremendous amount of bitterness and resentment that's that's in us. And, you know, everyone's story is different, but one of the things that the Bible says that is nowhere on the radar of our our culture is that we should wait, and we should not be remarried if, if there are two Christians, because we do not know what the Lord will do. And um, but this passage says remarriage is permitted upon death. And uh, verse 39, this is what it says: A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Now, by the way, if you're wondering if there's a verse that says Christians should only marry other Christians, this is one of those verses here. But also, this is the, this is the verse that gives us this principle that when we get married, we stay till death do us part. Death is the only thing that can, uh, can end uh, this marriage because we're in this one flesh relationship. We've become one body. And, um, but Christians have said that there are various ways that someone can become dead to us. And I'll just mention this briefly, of course, the literal death of a spouse. And I just, there's a couple things I just need to explain really quick. Look at verse 39 one more time. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married uh, to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, it, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. So it appears that Paul is saying here, well, if your husband dies, it's better to, to stay single. And, um, but in another verse, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, or I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households. So it's kind of a strange thing. In one place, Paul says it's better for a widow to stay single. In another place, he says it's better for a widow to get married and to have children. What's he talking about? Well, if you were with us last week, the Corinthians. We're facing some kind of famine or trial that at that time, he said is better, it's better to stay single because of the trial that you're going to face. But depending on the situation, other, you know, it may be better to remarry. And so first of all, in the literal death of a spouse, uh, someone is free to re- remarry. But other Christians have also said that the breaking of the one-flesh relationship, which would be an adulterous act, can also Uh, is like the spouse is dead to you. It's like their body has been cut off from you. And this is what the Westminster Confession says. In the case of adultery after marriage, it is lawful for the innocent party to sue out of a divorce, and after the divorce, to marry another as if the offending party were dead. So uh, in that case... Uh, some Christians have said that uh, the, a breaking of the one flesh relationship uh, also is as if the, the spouse is dead to us and we are free to remarry. Okay, So this is a lot. Let me just give a brief summary and then I'm going to wrap up. Okay, First of all, what does the Bible say about divorce? Don't leave because Christ is being formed in you, in your spouse, and in your children. But there are exceptions. Sexual morality, desertion and some cases of abuse as well. What does the Bible say about remarriage? That reconciliation is the first option, and remarriage is permitted upon death. But all of this challenging teaching comes from our understanding of a God who is, uh, uh, of who God is, who entered himself into a difficult marriage with Israel in the Old Testament and with us now, And he is a God who stays. God is a God who stays, so we become people who stay. And he is a God of reconciliation. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for this uh, challenging uh, teaching. And I know that these words affect many of the individual lives present here. I know there are many stories present here that I, I'm not even aware of, of how these words hit um, each one of our hearts and lives. I pray for your spirit to lead each one of my brothers and sisters here to you in faith that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of patience, um, but also a, a God of truth and that you would give us the grace to receive the truth of this passage, and that our lives um, and our marriages would honor you, and that you'd give, give us courage to face them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.